Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the Product in LA podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Cole, and this is an opportunity to shine the spotlight on some of the exceptional technology leaders we have as part of the LA product community. With us today is David Subar. Excited to have you on the, on the show, David. Thanks, Ethan. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is going to be a fun one. I'm excited. Uh, but first, we'll have a word from our sponsors. As always, Product in LA is brought to you by Uruit. That's U-R-U-I-T dot com. They're a digital product studio with 15 years of experience partnering with companies that want to challenge their industries. Whether their client is a startup or an industry titan, they can provide them with the right blend of creative design and robust engineering to create an experience that people love. They're a team of skilled experts that will help strategize, validate, design, and develop new products or improve existing ones by becoming an extension of the company's team. To learn more about Uruit, go to uruit.com. That's the letters uruit.com. We're also brought to you by the Product Managers Association Los Angeles, available at pma.la. They are LA's largest professional organization for product designers and managers. They're available, uh, they put on monthly meetups and they have a full calendar available at pma.la, as well as a mentorship program that's available at pma.la slash mentorship, where they connect working product managers with students from underrepresented groups to help build a more robust and diverse next generation. To learn more, go to pma.la slash mentorship. Our guest today is David Subar. He's the founder and managing partner of Interna, and his past roles include chief product officer at Zest Finance, chief technology officer at Break Media, as well as Oversee.net. And one interesting fact you might learn about him by uh, perusing his LinkedIn page is he's on the board of directors at the LA CTO Forum. Uh, David, you want to tell us a little bit more about the LA CTO Forum? Sure. Glad to. Uh, but first, actually, let me do a shout out to PMA LA because I'm a fan of that org too. Uh, All right. So, um, but they're similar in their nature. CTO, uh, the LA CTO Forum uh, is a not-for-profit that uh, creates community for CTOs originally around LA and Southern California, but with COVID and all, people have moved literally around the world. And we have... Uh, monthly meetups for the CTOs, for the members. We have uh, occasional evening meetings where we invite non-members, people maybe from PMALA, uh, CEOs, VCs. We have a Slack group, but we're all about how do we serve the CTO community. As mentioned, it's a not-for-profit. None of us get paid. We're, we're all uh, in the community just trying to help out. That's terrific. Yeah, I actually believe there's a, a joint PMALA-CTO forum uh, event in the mix, and this is not going to be evergreen, but it'll be in, in April 2023. Uh, there's going to be something coming up. So uh, for those listening afterwards, uh, I'm sorry, but for everyone else, uh, keep an eye out for uh, an event coming in April 2023. Yep. Awesome. Well, you know, one of the fun things uh, we get to do here on this show is learn about the the origin stories of folks. And so I'd love to learn more about, um, David, your journey into technology. Um, you know, is this something that you thought you'd come to all along or is this a, a passion that grew or, you know, how did you find yourself becoming a, a, a CTO and a, a CPO? Yeah. So uh, for me, it was congenital. I was born this way. <laughs> um, uh, 
my first memory, and this will this will date me somewhat, but my first memory was uh, sitting in my stepmother's parents' house in Scarsdale, New York, looking at a black and white TV and watching Neil Armstrong sit, set foot in the moon. Oh wow! And uh, first memory, first memory. That's, that's yeah, that's first well, the first one I can date for sure. Yeah, um, and you know something about that, you know, triggered me to want to be in technology. So my first job out of college, I did R&D in AI and machine learning in a military-owned think tank. And I learned something very valuable. Yeah. And that is, there's a big difference between science and technology or science and engineering. Let me say it that way. We wrote papers. We did some research. It was good research. We'd write a paper. It was a good paper. Maybe we'd present at a conference. Maybe a couple hundred people would listen to it and then nothing would happen. <laughs> okay. And, right. And so that was really frustrating for me because like this whole, like I wanted to build something that mattered, like the, the whole Armstrong setting foot on the moon thing, right? That mattered. Yeah. The research that we were doing in AI and ML, it had minor importance somewhere, hopefully. And so from the transition point there was I wanted to build products. And I wanted to build products that affected people, affected markets. And so then I went to an AI tools firm and I was an engineer. Then I was a manager and a director. And then I was CTO. And I thought like, this is great. Like I direct the team that building products, but that quite wasn't quite there. And it was having that, that range of product management engineering, thinking about what, having the teams that thought about what we were going to build, having the teams that built them, getting them released, having an effect, seeing what that was, and then round tripping to say, hey, we did great on this. We didn't do so great on that. How do we come back and work with product management engineering? And that's really kind of the where my, you know, having done research development found that being frustrating. Yeah. The thing is being able to build the teams that built the products that had an effect on markets. That is what drives me. And that's what I've been doing since then. That's amazing. I mean, there's so many, so many gems that came out of that. I think the first one for me, the resonates is the is the moon landing and the importance of the moon landing is uh, you know as, as a student of history I've I've heard where you know there was some significant portion of the, the national GDP went into sending a man to the moon was it just a you know an arms race with the Russians or you know what were some of the repercussions and you know there there's definitely intangibles and there definitely intangibles where there's things out of space program that came out of it like Velcro but these intangibles of the inspiration to a whole generation of people to do amazing things they never thought possible and even still uh that's that's a ter- I, I love that that's that was one of the origin stories is one of the beginnings of your journey into into this world uh i also love this this dichotomy between science and engineering uh because you, you you often don't hear that at least uh you know not in outside of you know very very academic circles so that's that's so cool to hear about how um, you would see those two broken up, whereas one is more kind of maybe philosophical and leads to, you know, academic papers and maybe teaching, but the other one is more practical and, and impacts daily lives. Right. Um, I'd, go ahead. You know, that's it. Like, you could think about one, like, one, like, is the ore that gets mined and the other one is the bridge that gets built, <laughs> right? We need both. Yeah, it's not that science is important. Science is really important. You can't do engineering without science. 
I'm just, my genetics are built for engineering and building products, not, yeah. for, not for mining ore. And, you know. Some people love it. Yeah, no. I, and some people love it. Like, and that, and you that's, know, Isaac Newton, Leibniz, you know, Einstein, you can talk about these people that have changed the world because they did great science. Yeah. Right? That's, you know, that's different than what drives me. Yeah. I, I would also like to touch upon in the last gem I would love to hear more about is, you know, the early AI ML, you know, what, what did that look like when you, when you were first starting out in, in that world? Cause that there's not a topic that is hotter than, than chat GPT right now. I'm going to evergreen this one too. I'm going to ruin the yeah. evergreen, but at this moment in time, uh, chat GPT is the, the hottest technology on, on the face of the planet. Um, but curious to hear what it, what it look like from the very beginning, and what what are you what are your thoughts on on where it is right now? So there's there was a beginning before the beginning I was in. Okay, people were doing stuff right, like in the fifties and the sixties and the seventies, and I got into it. I got into it really late eighties, early nineties, like really maybe like eighty nine, something like that. Not professionally, really, in in uh, yeah, probably right about that time. There were two. There was there was what they called the fuzzies and the neats and the fuzzies okay. were the, the folks that were doing like rule-based systems, which is where I really started. And the neats were trying to like use theories and model real world systems. And that was about neural nets. And then I got into mm. that and it turns out the neats won and the fuzzies didn't. <laughs> um, but we weren't very productive. The things we did there weren't very useful then. It wasn't because, the um, the science changed, although the science changed too. The big thing that changed when we when I was doing it originally and now was we have more processing and more data. Mm, okay. To use the algorithms against. Yeah. Now the algorithms have changed and they have gotten better, and we've had we've learned how to assemble neural nets in deeper ways and and. Uh, uh, CNNs and all. So we've gotten smarter about that, but the data and processing is what really is the fundamental change. And when I was doing it originally, it was like there was this dream that everybody wanted to do it and there was a bunch of funding and then it didn't happen. And then there was this AI winter. Yeah. AI winter, like now we're in the spring and, and chat GP, GPT is amazing um, and not done. Like it's not like there, we have a long way to go. Yeah. Uh, uh, John Doerr had this quote years ago about the about the Internet being 20 percent invented. And I think he underestimated it. And if you look mm. at what chat GPT does against generative intelligence, I think it's 20 percent invented. And, uh, and I uh, sorry, I think I think he, I think uh, John Doerr overestimated what what the Internet was, how the Internet was invented. And I may be overestimating generative AI at 20 percent. That that's fascinating, and that it makes so much sense, you know. And uh, I, as my understanding of AI comes, it's only really as good as the data sets that it reads and the data set it ingests. So, in a world where there's like five people being able to access the AI and it only sees like a database that is probably still pretty minimal at that moment, it couldn't possibly be as powerful as one created today, where it has the whole internet it could source and. To your point, the processing power of, of you know, the world's best the computers. Cloud. Yeah, yeah we have, the cloud. We, we, have the, we have the cloud now and we have, you know, MapReduce came in years ago. That wasn't available when I did it. And we have 
the data of the internet and everything's connected and everything generates data all the time. And that mass collection, we just didn't have any of that. And by the way, when you have that, the algorithms get better, but also you learn how you can change the algorithms as well. So you only can bring the algorithms, you know, it's, uh, I'm the best batter in a minor league team. I'm not going to see, right. I'm not playing against better, you know, better baseball players. I'm not going to see some of my weaknesses when you have better data, when you have better things the algorithm can do like, Oh, here's ways we can tweak it. Here's ways we can change it. And it, it becomes a virtuous cycle and we're there. It's, it's exciting and scary and um, a lot of other stuff. Yeah. It, it's, it's like a brave new world to your point. Yeah, I guess it's just going to keep growing now that we have these new tools to use. People are using them in new interesting ways, which would then lead to more information to be sucked up and, and then evaluated and then, you know, spit out eventually. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. It's, it's actually dovetails nicely with, you know, the, the next line of questioning, which is like, how, how has your role changed and how has technology kind of, in your life changed since you started, you know, when we're talking about the, the very beginning, you know, you were doing some research on MLA AI, you know, we couldn't have imagined where the world would actually have landed, you know, that it is something that, you know, your mother could actually go in and start using AI, you know, that's, mm-hmm. it used to be a very deeply technical thing. So how has technology really changed um, in the way that you're interacting with it? Um, from before, from when you first started to, to today? Yeah, so I, I think there's at least two, maybe three dimensions that have changed. One is our canvas is so much bigger we can paint on. Mm. Everybody's got multiple computers all the time around them, in their car, in their pocket, on their wrists, in front of their faces. Um, we have a much bigger canvas to paint on, which means there's more things we can do and more impact we can have. But I think the most important change as I, as, as, as I, my, my answer may change. I think about the question a little bit more. The most important change is the questions about outcomes, not outputs Hmm. is the thing, the best technology should be invisible. Interesting. My, you know, the full self-driving on the Tesla to the extent that it actually works, it sort of works, doesn't work perfectly. (laughs) Right. The mechanism behind that, the driver shouldn't need to know how it works. Yeah. And so the conversation in the product management space and the engineering space is we had a thesis of why we built this. We released it. We had impact or we didn't have impact. What did we learn? How to do it again? That conversation about um, outcomes versus outputs, I think, changes technology quite a bit. And I think... Agile development started this years and years ago, but the conversation, the product management community and the alignment between product management and engineering makes it so that we can have a much bigger, better impact. You know, it's, um, Andreessen said, software is eating the world. And that's a famous quote. I think he's mostly right. (laughs) It's not software that's eating the world. It's software products are eating the world. And I think generally it's a really good thing, but it's really about the product and the impact. And I think that's the biggest change. When, you know, Armstrong setting foot on the moon and Velcro and Tang and Mylar <laughs> and all that other stuff and the limb, like that's really interesting. And I guess all that stuff had 
you know, had impact. But the point of the moon landing that you pointed to before was the space race with the Russians and saying that the United States was still a valid power. Yeah. And that was, it was actually very effective for doing that. Um, uh, and it's about focusing on outcome that makes the changes of what we can do technology today and have technology make a positive change. That's interesting. So prior to that, it was about output. Yeah, it was about, it was about like, I wrote this little program and, and I'm at some cost center and insurance company, you know, that has an impact in some little small world at some little insurance company, right? but it doesn't have a societal impact today in the last five or 10 years, maybe, maybe that time frame is all right. We can have societal impacts to make things better. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I also can't help but uh, think back to your, your comment on the interaction with technology in your daily lives where everyone has access to multiple devices. Um, now it's just like, almost ever it's like so many devices and it used to be computer used computers didn't used to exist and then there would be like a personal computer one personal computer in the home for all the family and then now it's like each individual member would likely have a cell phone potentially also a laptop and then you know the televisions the sound bars potentially your refrigerator potentially your car all these things are then additional computers that you are interacting with on a, a daily basis Right. But uh, they need to be transparent to the user, right? A good computer, a good piece of technology is one that you don't have to learn its language, mm. that it comes to you, that the interface of it is natural and organic to what you do. There's a history of computer languages where they got more and more powerful. First of all, it was people flipping, you know, switches and it was ones and zeros and that was yeah. punch cards that were a little more powerful and then it was Fortran and C, and I'm going to get some of this history wrong, you know. And but these languages became more and more powerful, so they became easier to use. And you had to know less and less about the inner workings of the computer. Mm. The ultimate programming language is the user interface, and a user interface tailored for what you do. Maybe the best user interface in the world is the steering wheel of a car. It's built to do what you want. I don't think about there's you know an axle. And maybe there's transaxle, is that a thing? Like there's cogs and wheels and stuff. Like there's stuff there. My interface is the steering wheel. Mm. That's natural and organic to me. I don't have to think about any of that other stuff. And as we have more and more powerful languages and more and more powerful interfaces, the computer can become transparent. That's how we become trans transformative. And that's the thing that drives me. Like, that's about making products. And, and where do you see it? this relationship going in the future? Well, so chat GPT is really, you know, like the point you were, is interesting because it's now a conversational interface. Okay. Um, it, it's, it's, I'm typing still, but uh, some things are good as conversational interfaces. So we'll have more of those like um, uh, hmm. Siri's a crappy one and Alexa's a crappy one, but we'll have more of those. Um, we have more interfaces that are just natural to the way I do things. So like my Apple watch, I'm, gonna, I'm suddenly become like an advertisement for Tesla and Apple. In this conversation. <laughs> my Apple watch, like when I go for a run, it notices, it says, Hey, are you going for a run? Should I record that? That is a great natural interface that I didn't talk to. I didn't type anything in. I didn't punch a button. 
right? And so yeah. we're going to have more and more kind of embedded natural interfaces that are organic to what we do. And if controlled properly, and right, that's an important caveat, um, we'll continue to make our lives better. We need to be thoughtful. I think the Europeans are very smart about how they're thinking about uh, the effect on computer lives and sharing data and things like that. We need to be aware of that, but we're going to have more and more interfaces that are natural to what we do. I, you can think of uh, if for diabetics, right, there's embedded devices that automatically sense their insulin and give them insulin dosages without having to like, you know, prick your finger and take blood and that kind of thing, right? That is a yeah. natural interface that's organic to what we do. We're just going to have more and then they're going to, they're going to diversify, right? And they're going to, they're going to diversify for what we do. And that's all about product management. That's all about UX design. That's all about great engineering. That's amazing. I'm just kind of like putting this all together. Yeah. When, when the current state we're in, we're, we're interacting with some program, you know, called an, maybe there's an app or some other thing or, you know, computer keyboard and we're working on their desktop, but there, there's a potential for a world where you're just going about your life and the, the technology kind of like, kind of like almost like a streamline, like those wind tunnels you see on TV for car commercials, it just comes around your body and just helps you perform the things you're trying to perform without you actually having to go and interact with a device in order to accomplish the feat you're trying to do. It just kind of works its way around you. Right. Think, think about an elevator. This is a really kind of mundane example. Back in the day, there was an elevator operator. You'd get in an elevator, and an elevator was a complicated thing to operate, I suppose. And you'd say to the elevator <laughs> operator, it was almost always a guy, and you'd say, I want to go to the third floor, right? And so they, yeah. put, a, they, they put a human to solve a UX problem. Yep. Right? And then there were buttons, right? And now there are elevators where you swipe your badge, and yep. it knows where you're going to go. And at some point, maybe you don't have to do that as well. But I mean, that's kind of a mundane example. Yeah. But that is a, that is a UX problem that was solved. Now, there's a societal problem too, which is what happened to the elevator operator? Right. The thesis is, and has to be, that we're generating new kinds of wealth by building new kinds of technology. And the elevator opportunity operator has an opportunity for jobs that are better paying and more... Um, uh, more interesting for that person. And so society expands by this technology and doesn't collapse. Mm. And that's, yeah. that's the thesis that has to be true. It's the up-leveling of skills to, to do something that requires less manual labor and, and a higher pay. So the incentives are there to, to do it. Yeah. And arguably, if you look at the general wealth of the United States, that it has, I'm guessing elevators operators stopped in the 60s. I don't know exactly. Yeah. But, I'm, but, the, but the average income in the United States has certainly increased. And hopefully the spread of income to the bottom ranks has also increased. I mm. don't have the stats. I believe that to be true, but I don't have the stats. Yeah, anecdotally, I feel like that does make sense. Yeah. Probably this is, none of this is what you expected us to talk about. By the oh, way. no. That's I, hope, I hope it's helpful. No, that's part of the fun of it. It's it's a good conversation about technology and, and the state of the world and where we're headed with it. So it, it's all it's why we're here, man. Yeah. Um, but you know, coming to our, our final question, I mean, we can bring it back to to ground it in LA. I love to ask this question of folks. Um, we're product in LA. We're based in based in Los Angeles. So like, 
What is the uh, the most LA thing that's happened to you? This could be tech related or it doesn't have to be, but what's this? what's the most LA thing, David? Most LA thing going to a father's group at one of my kids' schools. Okay. And it's at someone's house before okay. school kicks off one year. And he's got like one room where there's the pizza and then outside everyone's hanging out by the, you know, outside everyone's hanging out and talking. So I go to get pizza. I look next to me. I look at the guy next to me. I look up and the guy says, hi, I'm Conan. And it's Conan <laughs> O'Brien. And like, you know, like, I know, like, dude, you're 6'4". You got red hair. You're like Conan <laughs> O'Brien. I was like, he said, hi, I'm Conan. I'm like, yeah, I know. That's amazing. Yeah, he's yeah. not one of those celebrities. There's some celebrities like, is it that person? Is it not? He's a he's a goofy looking six foot four guy. So he, yeah. he's probably hard to miss. That's amazing. He was he was very hard to miss. Super nice guy. Never talked to him again. I mean, I saw him at the school other times, but never. But I, I was just like, oh yeah, having pizza with Conan O'Brien because that's the way that's the way I roll. I guess. I oh, I love I love that about LA. I actually have a, a buddy whose kid is in uh, youth soccer, and. He's complaining because like no more Garcia Parra and Mia Hamm's kid is in the same, not in the same in the same league, not in the same team. So like yeah. you're going up against like no more and Mia's kid. Like yeah. my kid isn't has stand a chance. So, yeah, I love yeah. that. I love that about this town. Yeah. Well, thank can, you can so do, much. Can I do two minutes. I do two minutes on what I do besides uh, the CTO forum. Yeah, absolutely. This is, this is wrapped up to what we're talking. Is what I what I do is I spend time with companies think about product management engineering and how to make them more effective. So are your product managers aligned to your users? Do they understand what your users want? Do your engineers understand what they want? Are their methodologies good for producing? Can they produce small things quickly, get feedback from the market, do it again? That's what we do at Interna. And we'll evaluate teams, we coach, um, we do interim CTO and chief product officer. But like the stuff that I just talked about, like like I've, ho- I've organized, frankly, like my whole life around that. Yeah professionally and the drivers um, except for my wife who um, runs a bakery. So it doesn't, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's the thing that comes naturally to you, David, and it, it comes through in, in the conversation. And yeah, if, if you're in search of a, you know, I know you do some fractional CTO work, some fractional CPO work and um, you know, working a company that's looking to, to benefit on their, their product side or engineering side. Uh, David Subar and Interna is something to take a look at. And I'm glad someone just wants to get a call and just talk for an hour and get some time. Like, just call me up. Like, it's no big deal. It's fine. That's great. And uh, an excellent way to wrap up. Uh, the guest today is David Subar, and Interna is is the company he works. He, he's the uh, managing director and, and co-founder of. Um, I'd like to thank our sponsors. That's the Product Managers Association of Los Angeles, PMA.LA, and URUIT, U-R-U-I-T dot com. And uh, I'd like to thank you all for joining us for another episode of Product in LA, and uh, we'll see you next time on Product in LA.